Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Good to be with you. was with you Sunday. Glad to be back with you today. Uh, during SEC media days uh, this week. I am not in Atlanta. I, I don't go anywhere near that. Uh, shout out to guys like Will Gunner uh, from 107.5, my good friend who's braving it this week, and everybody else in Atlanta. I guess in Atlanta I may, you know, have considered it, but, uh, you know, maybe J.C. and Morgan would have broadcast from there. But uh, I don't know. I just – I'm not a big – SEC media days guy. Uh, and, you know, uh, glad that my guys from the big went though and covered it. It was a, a really uh, interesting day yesterday uh, for South Carolina. I, I do think that, uh, you know, when you go to these things, I, I think it's good to create a buzz. I think South Carolina as a football program needs uh, some buzz. Uh, relevance uh, is very important. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when you sign guys like Spencer Rattler, that, that gives you some relevance nationally because uh, people talk about it. Everybody in the country knows who Rattler is. Uh, and I think when your head coach makes an impression on the assembled media at SEC Media Days, uh, then uh, I mean, that's a good thing, too. Uh, you know, and Shane Beamer yesterday, uh, you know, he, he's going on a day that uh, and, and nothing against Clark Lee from Vanderbilt. I, I know Clark said, um, it won't be, you know, in a matter of time, Vandy will be one of the best programs in the country. Um, I appreciate his uh, dedication to his alma mater and confidence. Uh, and I'll just say that, you know, and, and hey, good. Hope if they do, great. Super. Um, so that kind of got lost because, you know, Shane Beamer follows Nick Saban and Mike Leach. Uh, you know, it's kind of a, a tough act to follow. Because uh, you know Saban, when he talks, he people listen, and he's always got some things to say about the state of college football. Uh, I kind of wish people would listen to him a little more. 
Uh, many, many people think, oh, he just cares about Alabama and his team, and he does. Uh, but if you listen to some of the things he says, uh, they're not necessarily things that would, at least on the surface, benefit Alabama. It would benefit everybody else because, like he says, he's one of the halves. So, um, you know, he has his uh, – I don't want to call it preaching, but he has his state of the game that he always does, and everybody always listens to Saban on that. And then Mike Leach is just Mike Leach. He gets up there without an opening statement again yesterday and talks about how dumb they are. And, you know, that's, that's Mike Leach. Everybody loves listening to him. And then, you know, starting with the, and and if you haven't seen this yet, folks, go to Twitter, go to Gamecock football's Twitter account. It's been all over social media. Uh, Shane Beamer's soldier boy uh, video (laughs) that went viral. I think it had over a million views in one day. That's big time. Uh, as far as publicity goes, say what you want about the cheesiness of it. I mean, I know I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, so, uh, you know, maybe the baby boomers aren't as fired up about it. Maybe the millennials think it's corny. I think my generation probably likes it, and that's kind of Shane's generation as well. And the kids seem to like it. So the Generation Z or whatever they call that, um, you know, they seem to like it, and that's really who matters. And Soldier Boy retweeted it believe it or not, but starting with that video through his press conferences, through his media appearances, Shane Beamer made an outstanding impression on just about everybody yesterday. Um, and that's not a surprise to me. It's to be expected. Uh, I've known Shane Beamer for 15 years. That's who he is. There's nothing fake about it. Uh, as corny as Maybe the video to some people was. I think it's uh, – and, look, I haven't gotten a lot of negativity from Gamecock fans on this. It's been other fan bases laughing or whatever, but that's fine. Um, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I think that's good, and, and that's who he is. And you hear the word real, genuine, authentic, things like that. Uh, and it, it's all about recruiting. It's all about culture within your program. Uh, that's the way I think these days in our times uh, to, to set yourself apart is to be authentic and truthful and real, you know, and consistent. And uh, I, I think what you're seeing right now is a head coach that's kind of, you know, coming of age a little bit, you know, kind of, you know, there, there's a mix there with his dad and little Steve Spurrier in him. And, you know, he doesn't kind of doesn't take shots like, like Coach Spurrier did, but a little performance, uh, maybe a little, dare I say, Dabo Sweeney, who, who you know, has gotten on TikTok and some other things and done some stuff. Uh, you know, and, and I think what you're seeing is his personality, you know, with his dad's consistency and some things he's learned. Uh, from being around college football, I think he's, he's blossoming uh, in the role from a, you know, PR perspective and, and media perspective. I, I thought last year he was, you know, fine for a first-year head coach at media days. But uh, uh, sometimes when you have an opportunity to make an impression, uh, especially at SEC media days, which, you know, some coaches, it's just like, please get me out of here. I mean, Dan Mullen and Gus Malzahn, I remember sitting through their press conferences, and, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron, you know, was a little entertaining, less miles. I mean, I, I've been to these things before. Like I said, I retired from going. Uh, but, um, you know, and it's just like, please get me out of here. 
you know, that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that sometimes when you get an opportunity to do that, just make the best of it. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things Coach Spurrier did was always, uh, he is always kind of the king of SEC media. <laughs> he would always go in there and say something to fire somebody up and call it talking season. And, of course, there were all, there's always the iconic Arby's stopover, and they didn't do that yesterday. But, you know, Shane did it his first year. Uh, you know, so anything, you know, you can do, I think, to get people talking about your program uh, is positive. And I, I caught some of the coverage on SEC Network and, you know, to, to Keo Spikes and some of those other guys are talking about South Carolina finishing second in the East this year. Can it happen? Yeah, I think that uh, when you look at the SEC East, shake two through six up in a box and draw them out. I think there's a, a clear favorite. That's Georgia. I think there's a clear bottom dweller. That's Vandy for right now. Uh, although I do think Vandy will be improved and South Carolina's got to worry about that because they beat them by a grand total of one point last year and you got to go to Nashville. So, you know, those Vandy guys are not going to show up afraid of the Gamecocks, but that's not till November. Um, and so I, I, I think that when you look at it from, from the standpoint of, you know, fair analysis in the East, uh, sure, you know, some people are going to think Tennessee because Tennessee put up a bunch of points and they got Hooker back and they're excited to watch on offense and beat Carolina about 25 last year. And, uh, you know, they're Tennessee. And uh, I think that uh, many, many times, you know, the national media will gravitate towards who scored the most points. And that's just the truth. I remember several of the media guys talking – a few years back, I think Baylor beat West Virginia 70 to 66, and they were talking about what a great game it was, and it really made me want to throw up because uh, there was just no defense. It was basically seven on seven, um, you know, and some of those big 12 games end up, ended up being like that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know on the flip side, from a Carolina standpoint, uh, maybe we all wouldn't mind a game where there's a lot of scoring because, you know, it, offense has kind of been a challenge. Uh, around here over the years, but uh, I get Tennessee, you know, I get Kentucky because with Kentucky, again, a 10 win year last year, they won the, the Citrus Bowl. They got Levis back. They, looks like Rodriguez is going to play for them this year. Uh, at some point, if you're in the media, you got to give, you want to give Mark Stoops credit where credit's due. You know, he quit, quit picking these guys down. You know, I think, you know, Florida's Florida. Uh, and depending on if you're buying Billy Napier or not, uh, you know, they're a legit pick for second in the East. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we're going to learn a lot about them their first two games, Utah and Kentucky back-to-back. Um, and he's not had the greatest offseason. Uh, you know, it's been kind of up and down with recruiting. But, you know, whatever happens in recruiting over the summer, you know, sometimes we get lured into a false sense of security about a team. And uh, I don't know why, but people just start thinking, well, they're recruiting really well, so maybe they'll go win. And, I don't think a lot of people understand. Look, those players aren't there yet. <laughs> uh, I remember Pitt, uh, Dave Wanstead was there, and Pitt one summer when I was covering national recruiting, I think at Rivals, had a great class. They were getting everybody from Western PA. You know, Pitt fans were fired up. They were in the top 15. Uh, and then I think they went out and lost to, like, Miami of Ohio the first game and finished five and seven, and, and they just, you know – they were a year away. They ended up having some good teams, but um, I think that class actually maybe set the set the table for beating West Virginia. 
that time to knock the Mountaineers and Rich Rod out of the national championship. But, um, you know, so things like that I've seen. Your team has big recruiting momentum. Everybody jumps on the bandwagon. And, oh, well, no, you're not quite ready yet. So that's, um, that's one thing uh, to look at, uh, you know, when you're talking about recruiting either way. Uh, that's recruiting. I don't think it has much to do with if Billy Napier, you know, because Billy Napier lost Pup Howard to South Carolina or, you know, whoever to my the quarterback at Miami, that, that doesn't necessarily mean the Gators are going to have a bad season or a good season. It, it, it just really is irrelevant. You know, Missouri had, a, again, recruiting, they had a really good class. I think Luther Burden is going to be an outstanding player. Who's going to play quarterback for them is a question. Will they be any better on defense is a question. Um, you know, we'll see sort of what happens with the Tigers. Uh, and so I hope I didn't leave anybody out there in the SEC East, but, you know, can the Gamecocks be the best out of those teams? Absolutely. You know, like I said, shake them up in a box. There, there's really not a lot of difference uh, when you think about it. Really in the West, too, um, looking at it, I, you know, it, it's hard to decipher as well. You know, Ole Miss lost a lot of players, but, you know, the transfer portal was good to them. You know, Mississippi State returns a bunch of production on offense. And I think Zach Harnett, their defensive coordinator, is outstanding. I think they're always going to be pretty good on defense. So could they have one of those breakthrough years? Arkansas is getting a lot of hype uh, this offseason, and rightfully so. Auburn is sort of the the one everybody's kind of poo-pooing on right now. Uh, but, man, they're Auburn, you know, and – if you look at the blue chip ratio, <laughs> you know, they're one of the teams that's over 50%. So they've got some talent, Tank Bigsby and all those guys. Quarterback's going to be interesting, um, you know. So what what's going to happen at Auburn? Uh, you know, so and, and even A&M, in my opinion, again, we talk about recruiting. Uh, and D.J. Durkin came in as the D coordinator. A lot of respect for him, really good coach. Uh, but we talk about recruiting, I mean, you know, yeah, a lot of those talented guys, five-star guys are freshmen. But, man, and it's not basketball. It's not the Fab Five. You know, you, you don't really have uh, a lot of defensive linemen, which is what a lot of these guys are, you know, come in and dominate right away. You know, some do. Uh, I, I'm trying to think back. Uh, people besides Clowney, Dexter Lawrence, that played for Clemson as a true freshman, he was really good, uh, dominant at times. I remember, uh, but it, it's not that easy uh, in this league. So even a and I think, uh, you know, they're getting picked second by most most uh, most prognosticators, but I even think that's an issue. So outside of Bama in the West, that could be a shake them up in the box kind of thing. There, there's really, you know, and, and there'll be some separation uh, as we move forward through the season. But um, there's a lot of parity when you talk about from Alabama to Alabama, Georgia, and then A&M-ish, and then all the way down to Vanderbilt. It's uh, It should be interesting. But, you know, if you're South Carolina, uh, you know, and like I said, people ask me on the last episode, what do you expect at media days? You know, what are the expectations? What are you looking for? I'm not looking for anything. You know, I, I'm just observing, uh, as most people should, but if you're looking for some kind of positive takeaway from it for your school, uh, I think Shane Beamer did just about as good of a job uh, as anybody, as did the Karen Joyner, Zach Pickens, and Jovan Quinn. 
A little more news here. Josiah Seitler uh, switching to the baseball diamond. According to Whittle on the big spur, it looks like he's probably going to take the mo take the money and run. Uh, Some surprising developments with him with the major league draft. Uh, Based on what I'm told, I I think Kankak should be pretty safe otherwise. Um, For those of you that are in the I'm too impatient posse, <laughs> and I respect it because you're passionate and, and, you know, when you're passionate about something, you're not always patient. You know, that's just how it is. Uh, you know, our passions sort of overwhelm us at times uh, when it comes to patience uh, and that's in life and anything else. Uh, but I've noticed a lot of impatience. What's the hold up with GG Jackson? Why ain't he committed? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's basically because the Peach Jam, which is a big AAU tournament down in, in George Augusta, I think, um, definitely Augusta, uh, is a big-time AAU tournament. And you, you guys have to keep in mind, uh, whereas 20 years ago it was for college scouts, now the NBA boys are there. And so if your dream is to play pro basketball, you don't need to miss the Peach Jam. So guys can get an evaluation of you, whatever. Now – it's not structured basketball. It's pickup, but you can evaluate those, you know, just like in an all-star game in football, that, that's kind of some of your best evaluation tool, especially in the practices because you're going good on good, even though it's not as structured as maybe a actual game. Uh, so, Gigi, you know, if, if you're a senior and you recl- reclassify, you know, officially you're not allowed to play in the Peach Jam because it's not for – seniors or, or, or guys that are going to college this year. Uh, and so what's the hold up? That's the hold up. Did some checking this weekend. All systems go, you know, are there guarantees and locks in recruiting and, you know, and all that? No, <laughs> I wouldn't risk. Uh, I wouldn't sit here and bet uh, my life on it, you know, just because of the nature of things. But I, I feel confident that, you know, he's going to be a Gamecock, and that's where it's headed. And uh, I think, you know, some Gamecock fans probably just need to be a little patient with it. And, and I think a lot of times, too, you know, because this fan base follows football recruiting so closely and, you know, it's kind of a crazy thing because 80, 90 percent of the time, there aren't, there aren't a lot of surprises in football recruiting. You know, you're going to get them, you know. People say you're going to get them and get them. It's those 10% surprises, those things that kind of go off uh, the the highway a little bit, that take that exit, that take that U-turn, uh, that everybody remembers. And so I, I think that kind of causes some, you know, skepticism at times when things aren't happening on, you know, the, the timeline of fans. But uh, uh, that's also football. So, you know, I wouldn't be so concerned uh, about GG. There are reasons why there hasn't been anything public uh, and all that. Could it change? Absolutely. Like I said, basketball's a little out of my wheelhouse, uh, but I've heard no indications, no indications. Uh, One more recruiting note, news note here. Switching back from football, Carmelo Taylor, wide receiver from Roanoke, Virginia. Fastest grease lightning. You've heard me talk about him before. High three-star guy. Probably should be a four eventually electric film, you know, Hale reported a couple of weeks ago, maybe the Gamecocks weren't as high on him. Uh, that's changed back is my understanding based on the reports. And it's a South Carolina Penn state battle. 
Uh, Gamecocks are in pretty good shape. No crystal ball yet. Uh, but I'm personally glad to see that because I, I think that, you know, when you kind of look at, at receiver, you know, number one, I don't think you should be reaching on anybody at wide receiver at South Carolina unless it's an in-state kid. Uh, in-state receivers have a tendency to work out. Uh, in-state receivers, you're batting at a high clip. Uh, I think same thing with Florida receivers uh, over time. If you kind of look at those guys, uh, I wouldn't be taking any projects out of Georgia. Now, uh, the kid they got, CJ uh, from Pebble Brook, CJ Adams, was that it? I hope it's, I hope I'm right. I'd be embarrassed if I didn't get the name right. Uh, yeah, CJ Adams from Pebble Brook. Yeah, he's being recruited as a wide back. And, and when you watch his film, you know, you see the, you see why, you know, you see the kind of the deal there. Uh, you know, Kelton Henderson's uh, a kid out of Florida. Uh, he's all good. He's very, very fast. Carmelo Taylor is going to be very, very fast, but, but I don't, I don't, you know, with the, with the transfer portal, I just don't know that you, you dip down too far, you know, like I said, unless it's an in-state guy, uh, you know, and, some people were getting a little concerned about Justin Stepp uh, on the message board or whatever. He hasn't closed with anybody. And I'll say, I'll say this. Antonio Williams was a big loss. Kid from Dutch Fork, needed him, recruited him for well over a year. He ended up, like I said, uh, one of those U-turns going to Clemson because that was kind of uh, his dream school and wanted to go there. And they came in and offered, and he went. And, um, you know, that was a that was a loss. Okay. Now now these other guys, like, okay, you know, Jaden Greathouse uh, is a player from Austin, Texas. Notre Dame is the number one recruiting class in the country. Uh, Notre Dame is a great opportunity. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that if Steph had landed Greathouse, it'd be anything but a huge upset. You know, same thing with Williams out of Mississippi, who, you know, it's Ole Miss, LSU. Those are closer to home. Um, Tyler Williams out of Apopka, Florida, that was that was a, a player. They were just kind of fortunate to get on campus. Um, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, but, but, but you have to kind of look at this. Uh, and we're rolling into the analysis segment here. Uh, thanks to Sydney Searfoss, realtor. And we're going to talk about her in a second for uh, this segment. But, uh, you know, think about this. When you, when you, when you, before you criticize Justin Stepp, okay, think about the wide receiver room he inherited, which I, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, that 2020 wide receiver room was garbage outside of a handful of players. Uh, it was garbage for a number of reasons, uh, including talent. Uh, different uh, spots in, in the individual players' development. Uh, injuries had a big thing to do with it, but it was just, you know, and I'm not calling any, any of the players garbage. Certainly, certainly would not do that individually, but overall, it was just, it left a lot to be desired, okay? Um, when you really have one guy and that's Shy Smith, and then your second guy's Nick Muse, uh, you know, you, you, you've, you're in trouble. If you're if you're trying to throw the football uh, in this league, and it, it sort of played out accordingly, um, 
So 2021 comes along. Well, think about what happened then. You know, he got the absolute most out of Josh Fan. Josh Fan had never caught more than 20 passes in a season in his career. He doubled that. Uh, he got to 43, and he didn't even he didn't catch a single ball against Clemson or North Carolina. So he could have been a 50 catch guy if had he not had a hammy. Xavier Leggett got better as the year went on. Marion Brown got better as the year went on. Um, you know. Look at what he got out of the portal with Juice Wells and Corey Rucker. Those two guys are really good. You know, when Jaheim Bell played receiver, he was good. You know, say what you want about DeCarry and Joyner. We're going to talk about Joyner here in a second. But, you know, Step did bring him from five catches to 21 or 20. That's four times the amount of catches. So he did get him better as well. Uh, and if you look at uh, the room this year compared to last year, uh, you know, in his second season, I think it's safe to say he's flipped the room. Hopefully it plays out that way, you know, because Juice Wells is good and Corey Rucker's good and Josh Fan is good and Xavier Leggett's coming on and Landon Sampson's good. You know, DeGarry Joyner hopefully takes another step, you know. Uh, Jaheim Bell is good. I mean, they've got some guys in the passing game, uh, which is important. Because if they don't get better in the passing game, teams are just going to load it up and they're not going to be able to run it, which is what they want to do is run the ball. Um, so, I, you know, as far as step and his recruiting goes, I mean, I, I get it. I get everybody's like hyper-focused on winning these individual battles. But uh, I just saw some really out-of-left-field kind of comments uh, on the Big Spur the other day about, oh, he hadn't landed anybody, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, you Unlike some other positions, maybe that they've gotten through the portal or it's kind of been more of a collaborative effort, you know, Steph was right there with Wells and right there with Rucker. I mean, he won those battles. So, you know, let, let's just look at reality uh, rather than, you know, the, the latest, you know, big time high school guy that, you know, from six states away or whatever that, that picks Notre Dame. I mean, come on, you know. Uh, let, let's get realistic here. And, you know, don't dismiss Kelton Henderson and C.J. Adams because those two guys, they're different types of guys. They'll play different things. But, but those guys are good, and Carmelo Taylor's going to be good. And, look, man, if you're worried about star ratings and stuff like that with receivers, I don't know that I would be because, uh, you know, let's just uh, – let's go to the tape, right? You ready to go to the tape? I'm ready to go to the tape. Let's go to the tape. Let's go to the tape. All right, South Carolina wide receivers drafted, right? All right, 2021, Shy Smith was a low four-star. Brian Edwards, uh, 2020, low four-star in-state guys, though. Debo Samuel obviously was a low three. Uh, back in time, Farrell Cooper was a, a high mid-three, like an 87-ish. Uh, really good player, right? Bruce Ellington was a basketball recruit, wasn't ranked. A. Sanders, mid-three-star, 5'7", coming out, drafted. Alshon Jeffrey, uh, I think everybody thinks he was a five. He wasn't. He was, uh, I think, barely in the top 100. Um, but highly rated guy in state. Uh, you know, go back in time. Kenny McKinley, uh, the late Kenny McKinley, bless him. Uh, bless his soul. Really good guy. Tears me up to think about. But, you know, three-star guy, converted quarterback. Sidney Rice, three-star guy. Uh, believe it or not, three-star guy. Troy Williamson, three-star guy. Some people had him as a four, first-round pick. Um, 
So there's been a long line of guys, and, and you can even look up the road at Clemson. I know T. Higgins is a stud and was a five. Um, but I also look at Mike Williams, who was rated lower than Brian Edwards. Stud. <laughs> you know, first-round pick, really, really good. Hunter Renfro comes to mind. Uh, you know, some guys like that. DeAndre Hopkins was not a, a very highly rated guy. I think he was a low four. You know, so at receiver, I, I think what you want to look for and, you know, what's happened at the pro, in this program at that position has been, I, I think, you know, and, and I don't know this for sure. This is my personal opinion, speculation, right? Uh, I, I think Steve Spurrier Jr. spent an awful lot of time trying to find the next Sidney Rice or Alshon Jeffrey. And the problem with that is there's not, those guys all the time. There's tall guys. There's guys that'll go up and get it, but there's not always those guys. And you miss out on your – I mean, Farrell Cooper was recruited as a DB. Uh, Debo was a late get, you know, and, and I think that that was an issue at South Carolina because, you know, if you think about uh, Spurrier Sr.'s offense, you know, it, the the Sidney Rice's and Alshon Jeffries of the world, the freaks that'll go up and get it that are 6'4 and 6'5", you know, that's a new thing. He didn't have guys like that in Florida. You know, he, he had your Redell Anthony's and Jabbar Gaffney's and uh, Jacquez Green's. And and I, I think Junior, you know, as is human nature, you know, trying to replicate things, maybe missed out on some guys like that. I mean, luckily, G.A. Mangus got A. Sanders. And luckily, Bruce Ellington came from the basketball team. And Nick Jones got a lot of to play in time. You know, those were kind of the Spurrier, the, uh, the, the quintessential Spurrier-type receivers uh, in that offense. So, uh, and then I think Brian McClendon got, you know, obsessed with maybe finding the next Debo Samuel, the guy that's built like the running back that plays uh, receiver. And I'm going to tell you, that can get you beat in a heartbeat. I, I saw Georgia do that during the Ricked era there for a spell. Uh, you know, guys like Israel Troop, they just got too big. They just got too big to play receiver. Um and then, then you lose speed that way. You know, you can be as big as you want, but, you know, if you're a receiver, but you can't get off the line and you'll get separation. Whew, shoe buddy, you're not going to be good. So I think BMAC kind of ran into that a little bit, maybe trying to find the next Debo. And it just didn't work out, you know, whatever. So, so look, you know, I, I, I think Justin Stepp <laughs> – uh, has done a really good job, you know, mixing it up with different types of receivers and different body types and, and, and things like that, because I think you need that. I think you need a variety. You need the tall guys that can go up and get it. You need the fast guys that can get it. You need, you know, guys that are just about six one that can fly. They got good hands. You got, you know, you need your Kitty McKinley's, your good route runners, you know, that, that somehow they get open, you know, all those types of guys. You, you, you need an eclectic, uh, collection of receivers, I think, at this level, particularly uh, when you when you kind of look at the type of offense South Carolina wants to run, um, you know, which is a a big versatile pro style thing, uh, and we'll kind of see what what it looks like here moving forward. But uh, you know, that's kind of my take on, on receiving or on receiver uh, recruiting, uh, kind of to to put that. Uh, on the tail end of the Carmelo Taylor thing, uh, I do think they're making a good move going and getting Taylor. Uh, if indeed they end up with it, got to beat Penn State. It's not easy. Uh, but uh, we'll see sort of uh, what happens there. All right. Told you about Cindy Searfoss Realtors. 
uh, earlier. And uh, if I can pull up the ad, why is Google doing this to me? I, I don't understand. You know, sometimes Google just straight up doesn't work. Uh, it's like, oh, I'm stuck. You know, what are you, what are you doing? Um, so anyway, uh, uh, Cindy Searfoss, realtor. Uh, I want to tell you about uh, some of our listeners that have emailed in uh, to ask about Cindy uh, or to tell me that uh, Cindy, oh, oh, I had a page slowing this down. What in the world, man? Uh, or to tell me that, uh, you know, she did them really, really well as far as uh, their real estate goes. And she's staying on uh, as we transition to Inside the Gamecocks, the show starting in early August. Co-host, daily show, streaming, just like JB and Goldwater, format-wise, all that good stuff. Um, Cindy's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate for over 35 years, as I found the ad. And would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. Spartanburg, Greenville, Greenwood, Anderson, Oconee, Pickens, anywhere in the upstate, Cindy's got you covered. Uh, like I said, I've gotten some feedback from some of our listeners that have utilized her services and they couldn't be happier. So I uh, I would encourage you to call her 864-414-5271, buying or selling. Uh, she can help you out with all your upstate real estate needs. She's right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue in my hometown of Spartanburg, Sparkle City, South Carolina. Uh, very proud, Sparkle City, proud native of the Berg. Uh, you can email her, ccerfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com, uh, and she can definitely help you out. Please tell her JC sent you, uh, because that's important to me as well. Um, and also, those of you that inquired about advertising, certainly appreciate that, too. Well, now, since I'm sitting there thinking about the Carrie and Joyner, and, you know, look, Karen Joyner has been a heck of a Gamecock football player. Uh, very happy for him with the, I mean, he, you talk about NIL, he's making bank uh, with NIL, deservedly so. Um, I think that, uh, as I said earlier, he got better at receiver last year. Was he ideal? I don't know. Uh, with guys with, you know, I, I, he was playing what was called the F receiver last year. And I, I really believe strongly they should have played Jaheim Bell there more. Um, but that's, that's in the past. <laughs> Don't want to get into like, wow, you know, and all that. Um, so, so the question becomes, where does he play? You know, and, and he said yesterday, I'm going to play receiver, I'm going to play quarterback, I'm going to play a lot of different things. I, I think, I think, you know, the wide back role that Jaheim is going to be playing this year is maybe something to look at. Uh, I would hope they would do that because I think to carry on as a ball player and as a playmaker is at his best when he's running from scrimmage, not necessarily running routes, getting open. Now that could have changed. You know, he could have gotten to, if he made another jump, that's a different story at receiver. Keep in mind, he hadn't played that position. That long. Um, but, but I would hope they would give us some chances there. And I, and I think a quarterback, too, if you think about it. Now, I, I my personal opinion was, you know, and maybe I feel this way even more that didn't get Dylan Lonergan, but we've, we've talked about that. My personal opinion was put him at quarterback full time. Let him back up, you know, battle Doty for the backup job this year and see if he wins it. And, and if he does – 
he's a one-year starter for you next year if Doty isn't quite right here. You know, Tanner Bailey isn't right here, Braden Davis isn't right here, or whoever, or you don't get anybody at the portal. Um, and a lot of people disagree with me on that. They don't think he's a very good quarterback. I, I, I you know, what makes me a believer with him? Uh, and look, I'm, I'm not an idiot when I'm sitting there watching the film. I mean, I probably wouldn't you know, rate him that high if I just like looked at his release or something like that. But what I do like about him, and, and, and this is what makes a good quarterback, folks, is, is how you perform under pressure in games. Because how, how many times have you seen a quarterback just wilt? I mean, all, all the talent in the world, they just, <clears throat> you know? Um, so that was kind of my fault. That's obviously not going to happen because Georgia does have another year after this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fact that he did say he's still a quarterback, that's good. Uh, and here's the thing, too. Let, let's just say hypothetically, here, here's where you could use him. And, I look, I, I'm going to be honest. that If they if that – the way they tried to do the Wildcat last year was, a I thought, a failure. Uh, it just didn't work. He kept it too much. There was no rhyme or reason to when they ran it. Uh, Running it inside the two at Tennessee was uh, it was just disastrous. Um, so I didn't think that worked. But when he's been in a game, and and, and really, you know, there's only like three games, and and, and really, if you, if you think about it, Dakarian Joiner has quarterbacked a whole lot during the two biggest wins for this program uh, the past three years at Georgia in 2019 and the bowl game last year. Uh, where he was nine for nine. <laughs> uh, so, so how do you use it? Well, I, my opinion, and I don't know if it'll play out this way or not. I, I think that wide back is good, giving him some carries, throwing him the ball, little screen passes, things like that. Because uh, I think the short game is, is really where he's at his best. But I also think, you know, all right, let's say there's a game. It, and look, guys, this is going to happen. And I preach this and preach this and preach this because I, I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding about offensive line. It's unrealistic to think your offensive line, when you play the schedule Carolina plays, when you're in this league and then you play Clemson, they're going to be perfect all the time. You're going to have games. They're going to get beat. They're going to have games. Rattler's going to get a lot of pressure. It's just the nature of it. Even Alabama has games like that. Georgia has games like that. Texas A&M, name your powerful school that's out there. They have games like that because of the athletes you have on the defensive line in this league. It's a fact of life. So, you know, let's say Rattler's getting hit a bunch, things aren't working. Do you put Maybe you put the carry-on in to kind of uh, rock and roll a little bit. You know, run around. Obviously, he's got some escapability. He's got a strong enough arm to throw it down the field. You know, he's got a good feel for the game. I think he's naturally a quarterback. So maybe you do that. Maybe that's what Marcus Satterfield has in mind. I, I think I think Satterfield's got a lot of parts this year. Uh, I thought he had more parts last year than really what he used. But, you know, again, it seems like everything's going to – be blamed on the quarterback situation, and that's fine. You know, they're coaching them every day. Uh, and like I said, I'm going to shut up about it until I have a reason not to, uh, and hopefully I don't. Uh, but there's a lot of pieces this year. And so, 
how does Joyner exactly fit in? Well, I, I think it's that. I think it's wide back. I think, you know, he's probably going to be a starter at receiver. Uh, who gets the majority of the snaps will be a bigger question. Um, and you go from there. Uh, you know, I agree with those of you that think, you know, you don't really take Juice Wells off the field to play to carry Jordan. Um, as far as, you know, big-time playmaking ability goes. But, you know, then there comes the other question on the other side as far as who's earned it, you know. <laughs> and and that, that matters in football as well. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You know, but uh, I tend to agree there. But, uh, you know, I, I think using him in a variety of ways, you know, as because he is one of the leaders on the team and giving him some some snaps at quarterback um, is going to help. I mean, you know, Spencer Rattler, obviously really good player, uh, great, could be great, uh, you know, taking him off to put Joyner in, you know, th- there's a lot of question about that. But I, I tell you, There'll be a time this year where uh, there'll be some adversity with the pocket, with the protection, with the run game, because of D-line, some D-line, I don't know who, out there will ultimately get the best of Carolina up front. And that happens with every offensive line in the country. Uh, so is the carry-on going to be maybe a counter to that? Because you put him in and he starts running around and all of a sudden those guys start chasing him and it, it's a different ball game. So – yeah, that's kind of my take of it. it. It's a tough deal because, you know, I don't know how much better at receiver he's got. Uh, and, and, and hopefully he's taken another jump. And if he has, great. You know, hope he goes and catches 60 balls. There's not a more deserving guy. But the reality is, you know, last year left a lot to be desired, uh, I think, at wide receiver. Uh, for him, I thought he got a lot better. I mean, four times the catches he had the year before and, had some clutch catches in games. Um, and, you know, is he going to get even better? Is he going to play kind of a different role than that F receiver this year? Maybe, you know, get some pitches out of the back, you know, be kind of more like they use Jaheim Bell, except not at tight end. You know, I don't know. So that'll be uh, very, very interesting to see uh, how they end up using the carry and joiner. Uh, this year and, and and really everybody, because like I said, Mark Satterfield's got a lot of parts, uh, a lot of moving parts, you know, on this year's team and uh, more options, more speed. Shoot. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things <laughs> they can dial up this year that maybe was unrealistic to dial last year. Uh, got to protect. But, you know, as I've said many times, the offensive line, no excuse. 139 starts between those guys. Everybody's a year old or second year in the system. You know, they have to go make things happen, uh, you know, and at least be decent. Uh, so we'll see sort of what happens there. All right. Going to get to the mailbag now. We love the mailbag. We love the mailbag. Um, so uh, the mailbag, right, the iHealth Consulting mailbag. And we will get to that. After you hear this from Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance. 
Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right. Thanks to Tony Pope. Tony's staying on uh, with uh, the Daily Show as well. So he'll be part of the show and uh, appreciate him. Uh, again, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, switch your insurance on. If you're not happy with your insurance agent, uh, consider switching it over to Tony Pope. Please tell them, though, that you heard about it here uh, on the podcast. I help consulting mailbag, and we'll talk about I help here in a little bit. And uh, so everybody's there. So there's two ways to get in the mailbag. Please follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter because that this is going to be one of the streaming areas. Uh, for the show, I, I think we're going to also do it on Facebook, most likely, which will be inside the Gamecocks on Facebook. And then uh, subscribe to the Big Spur YouTube page, youtube.com slash the Big Spur. Uh, and so we'll go from there. DP says, we will, I will be in Atlanta for the opening weekend of college football. What are some of the best places to watch some games? Any Gamecock bars where I'll be surrounded by Gamecocks? Thanks for the podcast and go Cox. Uh, David, I, you know, when I lived in Atlanta, dive bar in Buckhead was the go-to guy, uh, place for the Gamecocks. Not, I don't know if that's going to still be it or not. Uh, cause I haven't been there in a while. Uh, and I think they changed ownership, but, um, I would definitely, uh, try to check out, you know, dive bar in Buckhead. Uh, that's, uh. That, that, that's where I went. Uh, the Gamecock Club of Atlanta is, you know, shoot, Midtown Tavern, something like that. Please go to their uh, – don't quote me on that. Go to their website, uh, and they have a spot they go uh, as well. If you got kids and they want to eat food and eat chicken wings and stuff, uh, I would recommend the Gamecock Club one. Uh, if you're just wanting to go have a great time and sit at the bar – and uh, drink and have a good time, I, I would go to Dive Bar. Uh, dive Bar was fun. That was my preferred place to go. Uh, thanks, David, and have a great time in the ATL Labor Day weekend. Golf Cox, JC, feeling a little concerned with Georgia missing out on Haynes and doubling back on our running back commitment. Uh, Rusty on their site mentioned it. Hard to hold on to a Georgia kid when UGA calls. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I'm not convinced. They're going to come in, but maybe, maybe so. Uh, and, and there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, that's uh, that's the beauty of being Georgia. You know, Georgia will sit there and wait, offer kids late and all that, and they won a national championship, and they're the dream school in that state. You know, I mean, you, you just can't – you know, there's nothing you can do about it. If it happens, I'm just not convinced that's anything more than like a, a mention uh, for right now. We'll see how things develop, though. I think that's something uh, Hale and I both are kind of following at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, look, that would be unfortunate if it happened that way with Braswell. But 
then you just go get in the portal. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's just how it is. It's a beautiful new day in recruiting because, you know, you lose a guy, you're not sitting there, you know, taking a flyer on somebody that's probably not going to work out. So uh, I think that's good there. Bullheaded said, hey, JC, I heard you saying the SEC might want Kansas as a team in the SEC. And while that could have been an option, wouldn't you rather have Utah? Seems like that state's growing. And their football program is really consistent with awesome fans. Yeah, I just think Salt Lake City is a little bit out of the footprint. Um, I think Utah is probably more likely to go to the Big 12 and join BYU. Um, and the thing Sankey talked about, and he alluded to this pretty strongly, and what I've been told, contiguous states. So, in other words, Utah does not border an SEC state. So, the chances of that happening are a little slim. Um, that's why I think North Carolina and Virginia are, are two schools, and uh, I've been reading a lot about that lately, uh, are two schools they're pretty interested in uh, from the ACC, and that's why Kansas was mentioned to me. Um, and – Notre Dame, <laughs> by the way, is in a contiguous state. It's in Indiana, which borders Kentucky. So there you go, for whatever that's worth. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy but stunned if Notre Dame joined the SEC. Um, yeah. So, and, and by the way, just a little news note to pass along. Notre Dame's looking for $75 million from NBC when they re-up and you know, from what I've read, the ABC's trying to get it done and partner maybe with another conference and, you know, to kind of get some inventory because it's a lot for one school. But uh, we'll see if they get that done. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So we'll see sort of what happens. Oh, the ACC commissioner, by the way, Jim Phillips, who, who by the way, you know, voting against the playoff and, and, and raising all these uh, superficial concerns that he had about it. Uh, I guess at kickoff, he says, I'll fight for college sports to remain a healthy neighborhood and not two or three gated communities. Well, okay, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> then maybe you should like, uh, I mean, you know, be a team player uh, instead of all this stupid grandstanding that's all fake and just based on butthurt because the SEC landed uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And then you find out who your friends are because the Big Ten stabbed the Pac-12 in the face. So there you go. You know, again, I'm done with the ACC and, and kind of how uh, kind of how stupid, stupid, stupid uh, their decisions have been with baseball or football. Uh, but that said, you know, hey, uh, you guys probably aren't sympathetic because – you know, two schools you don't really like and a bunch you really can't stand are in that league. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going, who cares? All right, so so that's it. You know, as far as Kansas goes, again, contiguous state, uh, the basketball that they bring to the table is tremendous. The football is terrible. Other sports are really good. It's a good academic school. And Missouri is their big rival, um, you know, so you sort of help Missouri – feel more at home and you get a storied basketball program and a big brand uh, without, uh, I guess, piling another big time football program uh, into the, the Western part of the conference. You know, you, you've already got Texas, Oklahoma. I mean, you need, you need some, some teams that aren't really great at football. Although Gail Sayers played at Kansas. 
Cardinals. But uh, Mark Mangino had a good team there. Uh, but, but, you know, th- that may make sense because it is such a good brand and it's in a contiguous state. So thank you very much. Um, I'm just sitting here talking about uh, – I'm, I'm sitting here reading this Jim Phillips, ACC commissioner. He's going on and on, blah, 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 blah. Anyway. So the other way to get in the mailbag, and it's by IELP Consulting. And to tell you about IELP Consulting is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, we got four there, but I want to tell you a little bit uh, about uh, our friends and I help consulting. Um, and that is uh, Daniel Owens. I've told you about how Daniel with I help can save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, uh, all that without sacrificing quality. But you may also be wondering how it works. And I haven't talked about this in a while. It's very simple. Call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713, and set up a quick phone call or a face-to-face meeting. Daniel will then examine your business. He's going to look at where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying too much, junk fees, or if your rates are too high. Uh, And then he's going to kind of say, hey, here's what we need to do to save you the money. And you may be saying, well, how do they get paid? Consultants charge way more than they're worth. Uh, They may save me $3,000, but charge me four. That's not how iHelp does business. You're only paying a percentage of your first year savings. Not only that, if they can't save you money, you don't owe them a dime. There's no fee to take a look. It's totally free. Uh, So give Daniel a call, 843-372-5713 or ihelpconsulting.com. Tell him you heard it on the podcast. I help consulting. How can I help you? And yet another advertiser staying on through the show. And and look, guys, when we go to the two-hour format, we're going to have like normal commercial breaks and some readers and some things like that. Uh, I know right now it's getting a little crowded with the commercials and I, I do recognize that. And uh, I just want to say thank you for continuing to listen. Our numbers have been fantastic. Uh, and, you know, please patronize these businesses too, because uh, that kind of keeps it going. But uh, I did want to say, I do recognize that, you know, hour, hour and 15 minutes, you got all these ads, uh, but that's going to stretch out, you know, here in the, in the near future uh, here on the inside the Gamecocks podcast, when we go to inside the Gamecocks, the show. All right. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Chris says, Hey, JC, how do regular fans determine which recruits committed to South Carolina or other schools or candidates to flip? Is it random based on need or any other particular reason? Um, if you're talking about football, it's usually like, like whether the guy was asking about Braswell, like, what if Georgia comes in and tries to flip him? You know, that's one to keep an eye on because it's the in-state power school that recruits well coming in and, and doing something new like an offer. Uh, the other thing you got to look out for is, is there instability in the program? Now, there's not at South Carolina right now, but if you remember when Spurrier was at the end, when Muschamp was at the end, there were guys that flipped and went elsewhere. Um, and then you got to look at, at this too. You know, sometimes the school itself backs off. Uh, they just quit calling the kid, quit talking to the kid, and then they 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 end up flipping to another school. Um, and that's happened before, too. So uh, usually if you're on the bigspur.com, uh, Hale McGranahan will, will get out in front of that a little bit. Uh, you know, but then again, there, there's always some surprises that happen. Uh, these days, kids usually go like they'll decommit 
and then commit. You know, there, there's not a lot of flips. And then sometimes, like, okay, Donovan Westmoreland, the four-star linebacker at Carolina now from Griffin, Georgia, that was committed to Georgia. Georgia kind of quit talking to him, but he didn't go officially decommit. And so it looked like a flip. And that that's a flip technically, but it's not – it's not like in the traditional sense where a guy where Georgia was like, Oh no, what are you doing? Don't flip. Please don't. And then he did, you know, Georgia kind of said, well, we're going to get some linebackers. We like better. And I don't, I don't know. Donovan Westmoreland had a really good spring, (laughs) really good spring. So I, I maybe Georgia may not end up being right about that, which is what you want. You know, that's why, that's why you recruit the state of Georgia because you have to you have to bet on them missing and Alabama missing or or them being full, you know, uh, you know. And you, you think about this for a second. You know, Georgia takes five guys from the state over the five guys you get out of Georgia, right? Um, you know, three of them maybe they just decide college football is not for them. Two of them you know, aren't as good as they thought or they didn't develop as well. Uh, but then all your guys hit, you know, th- that's good. You know, that, that's what you need to be doing in that state. Now, that doesn't take away from the other 20 that Georgia got, uh, not all from in the state that are going to be studs. Uh, but those kinds of like, granular things, when, you, when you're talking about who to recruit out of the state of Georgia specifically, that's what you want. You know, you want the guys that you want to outguess them, uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways and, um, you know, hope for the best. Because <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of difference, you know, between the tiers and, and all that good stuff. Uh, and Chris goes on to say, would you prefer that football had an unwritten rule against recruiting prospects that are already committed? Uh, I do. Uh, I, I would I would think that would be easier. But football, that's uh, – that's never going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm beside myself that it's that way in, in basketball. Uh, and, and I guess they do that in basketball just because you're not signing 25 to 30 a class. You're signing maybe two or three guys. And, and so everybody wants to be fair to everybody else about them filling their roster spots and, you know, things of that nature because it, it it's – basketball recruiting is more like quarterback recruiting because you'll have a guy with 25 offers – and at the end, he has one option because everybody else fills up. There's limited space. Um, but, but yeah, football, I don't think it's going to happen. The flip is uh, part of it. And I think it's here to stay. So, uh, But thanks so much, Chris, for that question. That was a very good question. Uh, Noah says, hey, JC, he has an O-line question. I know it's early, but what group do you see as the most likely starting offensive line for the Gamecocks this year? Which players are locks to start and which spots are to be determined? That's interesting. Right now, I'm going with Jalen Nichols, uh, left to right, Vershawn Lee, I guess Eric Douglas, maybe Javon Gwynn. I don't know. Maybe they move him. I don't know. Um, And see, this gets hard because right guard, I'd say Gwynn. And then what do you do at right tackle? Okay, so you got Ja'Kai Moore, who's good, who's healthy. You got Dylan Wanham, who Shane Beamer said was back and healthy. A big-time starter there. Uh, but then you got Tyshawn Wanamaker, who played really, really well last year. So, right now, I'm just going to go, you know, 
Dylan Wanham's probably going to end up with it, uh, especially if he's healthy. But if he's not 100%, I'd go with Wanamaker. Uh, and then look for Ja'Kai Moore to challenge Jalen Nichols at left. When they moved Jalen Nichols to left tackle last year, that that got them better, you know, especially in the bowl game. Uh, but I, I think Vershawn Lee and Tyshawn Wanamaker deserved to start because they were better than some of the older guys. You know, Eric Douglas is the center coming out of uh, spring. Do I think he's ideal? I don't know. But uh, – you know, he's an older guy. So, so we'll see what happens. I mean, there's, uh, it's a big challenge, I think, for Greg Atkins to figure out, you know, who the best five are this year because you got guys coming back off of injury that are finally healthy. I mean, just battle it out is what I say. See who the best one is. But I, I'll say this I'm high on Lee. I'm high on Nichols now. I'm high on Wanamaker. Uh, I've been high on Gwen from time to time. I did not think it his best year last year. Uh, and if the older guys can't get it done on the offensive line this year, they need to play the younger ones. It's that simple, in my opinion. All right, Kevin says, Bates West, Kevin. Bates West. He says, JC, the Q&A portion of media days can often be lackluster, in my opinion, and Shane Beamer's Q&A this year falls in that category. He answered many questions. But nobody asked the obvious one that most Gamecock fans would like to hear ask. Hey, Coach, with the exception of a handful of games, the outfit struggle in 2021. What can we expect to see this season that's different from last year? And in your opinion, JC, what's his answer? Uh, congrats on the engagement. Thank you so much, Kevin. I wish you and the missus many happy Saturdays. Thank you. Me too. We have happy Saturdays, no matter where we are. No matter where we are, especially in the fall. Um, here's what Shane would have said, personnel, quarterback stability. You know, if you're looking for some sort of Marcus Satterfield answer, I don't think he's going to give it to you, uh, which, which those are facts. You know, you, you, like I said, the receiving core last year was not all that good outside of Josh Van, And then he got injured at the end. Uh, and they didn't now, now you want to get into coaching personnel usage leaves a lot to be desired, uh, last season, trying to piece it all together. Uh, and quarterback, you know, you got a rotating door, a revolving door. What's great about those four guys is all four of them contributed to wins. All four of them had their moments. You know, Zeb led them back against East Carolina and led them back against Vandy and played in the bowl game to carry on in the bowl game. Jason Brown won the two biggest games in the regular season, Florida and Auburn. And, and in my opinion, some people say he didn't play good against Missouri. In my opinion, he kept him in the game. That was a terrible, uh, you know, don't want to talk about that game right now. Uh, and then Luke Doty, you know, when he played uh, against Troy, they won. And then early on against Vandy, Luke Doty was making plays. So every one of them contributed. Doty had a really good game against Georgia, uh, all things considered. Uh, so that's the quarterback situation. And then that, but that's what Shane would have said, you know, Spencer Rattler plus improved personnel and playmakers. And, and that's true, you know, and, and so that, that's why I kind of believe the excuses are over. Uh, it's, it's not to put any pressure on the coaching staff or anything on offense, but I, I think this, you know, style of offense that Marcus Satterfield is trying to run in theory, I want to get excited about it. Because I think there's a lot of really good stuff, a lot of really good stuff. 
but as I said last year, you know, you can know all you want, but can you fly the plane? So hopefully you can fly the plane with a, with a better co-pilot. Is that, is that analogy work? Um, but that's what he would have said at offense. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the offense. And I'm going to say this too, Bates West, Kevin, you know, we talk about quarterback, we talk about more playmakers on the perimeter, uh, that type of thing. And, but, but if you notice when this offense was clicking last year, the game guys were able to line up and run the dang football. And uh, I do believe this. I think a better uh, passing game is going to help that. All right. Got to jump off inside the Game Guys podcast. J.C. Sherman.